Welcome, listeners. I am your host, Jonathan Yamasaki, and we have our other handsomely bearded co-host with us today, Ryan Clark. Very happy to be here. <laughs> For Go Entrepreneur Yourself. Glad to have you back here with me, brother. A podcast where we bring you local entrepreneurs and leaders from around the country to share their story about adversity, triumph, and their business. We're excited for today's show because we bring you a person who is an Athena Awards finalist, a program that recognizes and celebrates the achievement of businesswomen across the greater Phoenix, a keynote speaker at the 2019 Forbes 30 Under 30 Summit, as well as being chosen for the Forbes 30 Under 30 Social Entrepreneur of 2018, an Echoing Green Fellow, a 2016 Soros Justice Fellow, which is a springboard to her organization, Aliento. Now, there is a saying in the corporate world where business isn't personal. But in this case, for our guest, Reina Montoya, and her business, Aliento, it is personal. Aliento is what embodies her story and fuels her passion to help immigrant families and youth heal from trauma through art. Reina, thank you for your time to make it out here with us and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me today. So usually um, what we do is what we call the Fast Five, which is just okay. kind of a way to... You know, loosen up a little bit, but every minute that we have with you is valuable. Trust me, he's been talking nonstop about you since we've been <laughs> wanting to do this podcast. So, no pressure. So we're just going to go with two quick questions here. The first one is, who is your favorite social entrepreneur and why would you say that they're your favorite? That's a hard question. You said it was going to be fast. Oh, <laughs> really? I, I thought there would have been at least one. <laughs> I mean, social entrepreneur, who's my favorite? I don't know. I would say that right now, someone that really inspires me in her hustle, uh, her name is Amanda. She's a social entrepreneur out of Detroit. Uh, she is. A, she was a law professor, so she has a law degree. Oh, wow. And her parents were, one of her parents were uh, was incarcerated. So she was able to use not only his her law degree to build this beautiful center in Detroit. So she has this center where she brings like attorneys, organizers, and different communities to really work with with people who have been incarcerated before and they're returning citizens. So I just feel that her hustle, the her own personal story and just everything that she embodies really inspires me. That's awesome. Yeah. Now this one's gonna be a whole lot easier. I hope so. I don't know about that. I don't know if I should trust you now. Are people that eat pizza with pineapples good or bad people? They're weird people. <laughs> they're definitely weird people. <laughs> Have you never had Hawaiian um, pizza at all? I had, but I don't like ham. I don't eat pork or beef. But when I was little, I used to. My brother's a big fan. so. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> we promise you these questions. You're going to know the answers to. <laughs> so, Aliento translates to breath. Why choose that name? And take us through your organization, how you got started. Yeah, so when I was coming up with the day, name, I was at a coffee shop. So we didn't really have, like, I didn't really have a name. I was actually very hesitant about making it a company or an organization because I had had a lot of bad experience with nonprofits. And I really wanted to stay really mission focused and mission driven. So social entrepreneurship really gave me the lingo at that moment to figure it out, okay, this is the problem that I see in my community and how are different ways that we can go about it to change it. So long story short, I was at a coffee shop here in downtown Phoenix and Fair Trade, oh, okay, so yeah, I was at Fair Trade, local <laughs> coffee shop, also owned by 
amazing with businesswoman Latina. So I was there and I was in my computer and I was like, Diego, we need to launch this. It was a friend of mine. He's now my creative and digital director at Aliento. And I was like, well, I don't know. I've never like named something. So what do I do? He was like, just start like writing notes on your computer. Like, what do you want? Like, what's the feeling? So he started asking me all these questions and, and I started brainstorming. I'm like, well, I wanted to embody community. I want to make sure that people feel that they're being supported, that they're being encouraged. And that's how Aliento came about. And I did a brainstorm activity and then it really embodied like the essence of what what it turned out to be an organization that I've been running now for three years where we focus on really turning all the trauma, all the fear and anxiety that immigrant communities have faced, especially children and youth, and being able to transform that into hope and action. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. So what problem are you trying to solve? I want to know more about like the whole uh, issue, the, the whole experiences that a lot of these people go through. Mm-hmm. And then explain DACA, because some of our audiences may not be familiar with the Deferred Action of Childhood Arrivals mm-hmm. and the difference between that and undocumented. Yeah, so I think that it's really, really important to have some common language and understanding, like, what are we about? So I grew up undocumented, meaning that didn't have any papers growing up in Arizona and growing up in Arizona in a place that was very hostile. We had a lot of anti-immigrant laws that really prevented us from to either from going to school where we had to pay three times more than my classmates, you know, to having to watch our backs every time that we were driving just to ensure that we were not going to be racial profile. So with all of that, I think that many people think about it as a very legal perspective. Well, if we can document the undocumented, which it'll be great, you know, we can solve the problem. But after leaving myself undocumented and going through this journey of now having DACA, which is a work permit that prevents you from getting deported the first your deportation technically and then it allows you to work every two year cycles where you have to renew it so for me going through all these experiences as myself and then getting really involved with my community with community organizing when I was at at ASU or Arizona State University, it really brought this deeper understanding that the undocumented community and mixed status families, meaning that you might be a U.S. citizen, but your parents or one of them was born in another country, so they're undocumented, and you constantly have this fear and anxiety and uncertainty of not knowing if you're going to come home and mom and dad are going to be there, of not knowing what's going to happen in your future. And that creates a lot of anxiety and stress in the community. And it's kind of those things that that you don't talk about. A lot of people um, say that it really resonates with like the don't ask, don't tell type of policy. You know, we already know that mental health is extremely stigmatized. But when you add the layer of having a community that is going through these really rough mental health challenges, just because our government refuses to acknowledge the fact that we need to have a solution for undocumented immigrants, is something that it really pains me because we have this fabricated trauma by the state that it could have been prevented if we were to come together and seek solutions. It seems like it's, through presidents for decades have said that something needed to be done. I mean, back in the eighties, both the Republicans and the Democrats both agreed that something needed to be done to keep the people here that were hardworking so that they could find a path 
to legal citizenship. Now we're so completely divided on the subject that mm-hmm. it, it's even scarier to know if we're ever going to get to that point. Because even when they agreed on it, they yeah. just didn't agree how or when. And now it's like it's so divided. It's just absolutely frightening. I couldn't imagine myself because we're raised here and, and of course I'm a white person. So it's like, I, I couldn't put mm-hmm. myself in your shoes or in that community's shoes, but just being able to see and hear stories like yours and people that I work with, because I, I work with dreamers. Mm-hmm. I've worked with dreamers since I've been living here for eight years. Yeah. There's always been a dream around and they're hardworking. They're great people, but they're always scared of what's going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, um, something that, especially when we're talking about trauma and such a sensitive topic, you know, it's like we wanted to make sure that we were just not defined by that. And that's the essence of Aliento, that it's like we are survivors. We're not victims, right? And we have survived and we have come along these ways and, and really shifting the paradigm that, yes, we are hardworking people, but we're also regular people that we have ups and downs. We have breakthroughs and breakups, you know, and we go through all these different different life journeys like like you do you know mm-hmm. so then for us it's like how do we really center the stories and the strategy from impacted people and really elevate that we're more than than a story but we also are painters we are creators or business owners you know we're just like your next door neighbor yeah exactly so i mean dive a little bit deeper into the services that you do have to offer there are people out there that might not understand what an arts and healing workshop is. I mean, it sounds black and white on on the surface, (laughs) but I'm pretty sure that it's a little deeper. So what kind of services are you providing? So we do the arts and healing workshops that we work in a multi-generational setting with little kids starting the age of seven all the way to adults. And we have been able to use different art mediums and different themes to channel that anxiety and stress with families. So we do it pretty much like a teacher with a lesson plan where we're able to put activities where we're able to really build up the psychological safety of individuals mm-hmm. and then really restore the agency as an undocumented person who, who grew up undocumented and now that I have DACA and my livelihood is so uncertain, you know, it's constantly thinking that you don't have a choice. So how do we restore agency with folks? So within our programming and our lesson plans, we are always focusing about how do we remind people that they have choice and that they have agency. And sometimes it's very little from like, we're going to be doing this theme around colors and emotions, and we're going to be exploring hope and fear. You can either dive into hope and how would you want to see the future, or you can really try to let let go of those things that that you're afraid of. So then at the end of the day, we guide them through the process, but it's their choice what they want to do. So that's really, really important for us. Then we have our second program is leadership development. We work through the higher education pipeline. So high school, community, college, and university. And we put students in a 10-month fellowship program where where we bring them once once a month as a cohort where they can build community, build their leadership skills. And then we do individualized learning once a week. And with that program, you know, it's really important that we uh, that we work with our young people to remind them that they have agency as well and how do they give back to their communities. In this case, their school side. So we do student clubs, they do events, and they have the skills to be able to self-advocate and also increase the support of other, other young people. And then our last 
program is that we believe that we need to be grounded in the impacted people, but we know we can do it alone if we really want to make change. So we have an ally engagement program where we predominantly work with educators <laughs> and other people just like you that might be listening right now and saying, I want to help. I want to do something, but I don't know how. What do I do? That's where we come in. I mean, with all that stuff that you do, do you ever go to sleep? Sometimes. Sometimes, a couple hours a night. Four <laughs> hours to five. It's startup mode, so it's, it's the hustle all the way. Okay. And because I, how did you, I'm amazed because how did you get this background to like build this foundation? Mm -hmm. Because you said you have arts and healing program, the fellowship, all that structure. Where, where did that stem from? Where did these skills come from? Yeah, so I would say that it really started from having a really strong foundation from my parents. I always saw my dad hustling and every time that he would have an idea, he would make it happen, you know? So I think that I was definitely really inspired by him. But then later on, I've always volunteered. Service was something that was very instilled with me since I was little. So we would volunteer like at the homeless shelter with my parents. And also I was a catechist back in the day. So I thought religion when I was a teenager to junior high schoolers and something that many people don't know, but I did that for six years. So if I could scaffold and I can chunk out like the Bible which is one of the hardest pieces yeah. you know into something that is appealing for young people I think that that was pretty challenging just at the age of 16 you know I was already mm. doing that and then through community organizing and going to ASU I was very privileged that I got a double major and a minor so I double major in political science and transporter studies with an emphasis on immigration and economic policy mm. and I minor in dance. So that's where the oh, art awesome. comes in. Hey. <laughs> and then I got my master's in secondary ed. So I got to work with young people and, and develop lesson plans where I taught high school for, for two years. So I think that I've been able to really compile the skill sets and experiences within my own personal journey, you know, about mm -hmm. what it meant for me and coming from a very personal place, but not assuming that my personal experience is the same as everyone and being able to mm -hmm. differentiate that. Wow, powerful. Thank you for sharing that. It's incredible. From my understanding, you've been in activism and social justice since college, but you've had firsthand experience of living through this. Mm -hmm and being undocumented, moving to the U.S. What is it like being a dreamer and owning a business? Normally, entrepreneurs live with uncertainty because mm -hmm. of their business. You live with uncertainty because of your status in the U.S. How do you cope with that? I go to therapy every two weeks, you know, and that's something that has been really instrumental for my own journey. I think that's something that is really hard as a documented entrepreneur or what I call myself is the fact that you're in this two-year cycle. And when you're talking about business, people, the majority of people or investors, they don't really care about your future. They care about your, your business being successful. And I had to face some investors. They said, why should I invest in your business? Or what is it going to happen to Aliento if you get deported, you know, and that's something that other entrepreneurs don't face. Mm. So for me, it has been really important to use that as a fuel for me to continue to educate people because there's so much ignorance and they don't get our model, right? Mm. Because our model is about Aliento is not about Reina. Aliento is about a whole community of leaders and young people that are going to be there to change it. So for me, instead of getting mad, because I used to get really angry, you know, now I try to use it as a fuel for me to educate other people and bring them closer to our mission. 
I mean, that kind of goes along with when, when you think of how, you know, just regular business sector, they sell products, they sell, they, they sell services. Mm-hmm. Um, as a social entrepreneur, there is no selling of products or services. Um, so you're, you're really basing everything off of fundraising and you ultimately have to sell not only just yourself, but what you're doing there. Mm-hmm. How do you go about captivating those investors and those people that could really help your cause into investing into what you're doing? I think that for me, what has been really powerful is the power of storytelling. A lot of people, as I said, my my assumption is that there's so many good people out there that they want to support, but they just don't know how. So I think that money is one way. You know, there's been so many other people that have invested in Aliento with time by being volunteers and facilitators. We have had other people that have given us in-kind donations. Like right now, we've been operating at a, at a small office in Mesa that another organization opened their doors to us. So sometimes it's beyond the monetary support where it's like how much people are willing to support you in different ways and we wouldn't I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that but I think at the end of the day I'm a big believer of the power of relationships and being able to build with one another and that's what we've been able to use and that's why we've been standing three years strong because we've been able to build strong relationships and don't be afraid to be vulnerable and tell our story Mm, yeah I'm like snaps over here because <laughs> what you're saying is you're touching the heartstrings of these investors, of these people from like you telling your story. And when you're able to market yourself to all these people, that's enough. That's money right there for them to just believe in you for your cause. Cause if you believe in yourself, you believe in what it stands for, they're going to ride along with you. So I, I commend you for that. Cause that's a hard thing to do. I do like your marketing. These stickers are amazing by the way. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so earlier, for our listeners, Raina came in and she gave us these beautiful stickers for Aliento. So one of them reads, families belong together, not in detention. One is educated AF. And AF, I forget what it stands for. Arizona's future. That's right. But it's A. Hey, I love the innuendo there. <laughs> I, I thought it was something else. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Plan worse, but uh, yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish I could take credit for that, but that actually the marketing came from one of our young people. Uh, she was 19 when we were choosing the name for the campaign because it's nice. around in-state tuition <laughs> access. And we were like, well, Arizona's future. Well, what do we do? Education. It's like, well, let's do educated AF. And, you know, it has a spin to it. You got to get the youngins. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have that a lot with a lot of the youth helping out? With, with what your your message is here, it's not just all the adults just really handling it. Do you have a lot of people that have maybe been helped with your program that have turned into the cause to try to help others as well? Oh, definitely. I mean, we are a mighty team of five and the oldest person in the team is 30 and then the youngest one is 20. So for us, it's really important that we that we walk the talk. We say we put it in our mission statement that we're a youth led organization. So it is really important that part of the leadership and decision making that we are cultivating and fostering the leadership of young people. Beautiful. As a dreamer, what do you think are your biggest challenges? In starting this business, what has been successful or what are things that you feel like Aliento can improve on? That's a great question. I think that one of the biggest barriers that I face, one, I'm a woman. (laughs) 
Two, um, I'm a dreamer. My status is on limbo. I was sharing with you that investors have literally asked me what's going to happen to Aliento if Reina gets deported. Uh, so that's a lot to take emotionally, you yeah. know, and you get re-traumatized every time. So I have to have a lot of emotional intelligence myself and being able to really stay grounded in what I'm doing, what I'm doing. And also only 3% of venture capital goes to women entrepreneurs. So that's a different layer that I think that not many people are aware about so I try to you know like share that as statistic because for me when I learned it it was mind-blowing mm -hmm. and if we start looking at like people of color like the layer keeps going little and little and little <laughs> you know I think the biggest challenge and obstacle in that is that not allowing myself to psych myself out because when you see those statistics sometimes you feel that you can be successful or you cannot make it so I think that it's constantly reminding myself that yes I might not have my peers who maybe went to Harvard and I have like uh, a lot of like social capital but I do have social capital in other ways and how do we leverage talent from our community and being able to say no when there's a will there's a way and my journey might be longer but like if we hustle and if we have great and perseverance we'll get there hustle and bustle you gotta hustle <laughs> after hearing more about aliento mm -hmm. and the influences that your organization has in the state how are you working to continuously improve the impact that you're making right now on dreamers and arizona but also throughout the country and then one thing just for our listeners explaining to them what a dreamer is because i don't know if we touched on that just mm -hmm. yet so a dreamer is someone who came to the united states as a minor has been living in the united states for at least five years continuously has not had a felony or a criminal conviction so there's a lot of stipulations but it came about from a piece of legislation that was in a bipartisan matter introduced by senator hatch at that moment and senator durbin in 2001 and since then there's been many versions of the dream act that would have eventually lead to a pathway to citizenship, but unfortunately it hasn't passed. So it's not a lie. And a lot of people confuse Dreamer and DACA, you mm. know, which DACA it's temporary, it's a work permit. Dreamer is this, this piece of legislation that would have given us a pathway to citizenship. And the other question, I guess, to yeah. bring in it back, I think it was like, how do we constantly improve ourselves and how do we better serve the Dreamer population? I think it is really easy to get caught up in your own head and in your own bubble. So I think for us, what has been really key for us to reach more dreamers and more community members is to listen and to be humble. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we're not taught that humility is a power and it's a strength. But for us, it has been something that has led us to succeed, you know, because we can get caught up in our own ways and it's like oh we have this model and we have to do it this way and we have to follow a b and c but the reality is that not one model fits all and i think when you listen and when you're humble everybody has a lesson to teach you and if you're able to embrace that instead of reject it i think that makes your model and your organization even stronger how can social entrepreneurs attract talent when there aren't high salaries and options? Because I know you mentioned earlier you had Diego, mm -hmm. who he's talented, he's created your website. Um, you have someone like Jose, who's mm -hmm. also working with you. And I know you have also like your fellows, your volunteers. Like, how do you attract all this talent to help build your foundation? 
That's a great question. I think at the beginning, it was very difficult, you know, because you're starting something new, people don't know about it. But what was very successful for us, and it was in the beginning of Aliento, it was about talking about the story about our mission and our vision, you know, it's like, this is where we want to get there. But this is not Reina's vision. This is a collective. So let me listen. And let me see what I see and is this something that you want mm. and that is needed in our community because sometimes I see so many initiatives that they want to come in and they think that they want to solve the problems and they have a lot of energy and a lot of passion but they don't take the moment to do market research you know is this something that is actually needed is mm. it something that is actually wanted and how is it going to be reciprocated you know mm. so for for us it was really important to start since the beginning and what really inspired us at the beginning was this whole motto about show versus tell. So we started performing because we were talking about arts and healing and you're like, what? what are, how do you do that? So Liliana was a dear friend of mine and she's a musician. She's also an, an ASU alum that I met through the movement. She sings beautifully and She's also a DACA recipient, and she was detained before DACA existed. So we had a very strong connection, you know, because my dad was detained for nine months. So we started creating, she started creating music and singing that. And then I choreographed because I'm a dancer. So mm-hmm. I choreographed and I, and I did this piece that talked about our stories, our journeys. And then we invited people to come through and be like, what is Aliento? Come learn about it. And give us your feedback. So we perform, we show versus tell, and then we had a conversation. We had 50 people at our first event, and we said, this is the idea. This is what we think. It's been a gap within the community after a lot of years of me being involved. So it's not that I woke up one day and then I decided to do it. You know, uh-huh. it had been a big, a long journey. And when we started showing it, people were like, yes. We need something like this. We just didn't know how to talk about it. So it was very validating. We did three events like that. And then from there, it just blew up. (laughs) Now, when you ask anybody on the streets to define what an entrepreneur is, they think of like a business owner that's Mm -hmm. trying to get rich, trying to make profits. Mm -hmm. And obviously in the for-profit world, Mm -hmm. they base success off of their profits. They look at how much sales that they're doing, their revenue, things of that nature, how do you really keep score in a nonprofit world? Mm-hmm. Because I'm pretty sure that people don't really connect the two of nonprofit and entrepreneurs together. Mm-hmm. We know better, obviously. How do you really keep score on that? Cause it's not like you're saying we made $5,000 today. How are you doing it? It's about the stories and it's about the social impact that we're creating with our young people for us. The way that we define success is like not only how many people we get into our programs, but what is the depth that they're experiencing their leadership journey? So then we talked about have they led an event? Have they spoken to a legislator about their story? Have uh, have they educated other people about it? So that's how we define success about about how do we make sure that our young people are having the skills and and it's really beautiful to see the like before and after even in pictures. Uh, we had our first cohort uh, last year of fellows. We had five of them and their first like profile pictures that we took of them they were like a little shy and then they, <laughs> and when we had the graduation pictures they were like completely like like making poses and you can see just the demeanor you know and and that's one of them but we also have like 
mixed methods. We do qualitative and quantitative analysis through surveys and through the art. We put up an art gallery once a year, and then we uh, and then we get to showcase the art that people have created out of their own traumas and stories and places of joy and fear. And then, what are things that keep potential social entrepreneurs from succeeding? So, like with you, you were able to share your story to and motivate people to follow with this whole vision that you had to help mm-hmm. the dreamers and to share their trauma, but not just for, for lack of better words, negative reasons, but to like really find strength through that. Mm-hmm. What sort of obstacles do you see social social entrepreneurs going through with, when they do a business like yours? I think when you're doing a business like mine that you're really motivated or you have a very strong why you're doing the work that you do, like in my case, you know, having my own personal story, really being attached to the mission. Sometimes uh, the administrative side on the business side can lack. So definitely like I still cry when I have to do budgets and I spend long hours trying to make sure that everything matches, you know? So I think that, a journey that has been very helpful for me is that learning my limitations and learning the things that I'm not really so good at, you know, like tell me about a program trainings and I can do that in, in, a, in my sleep, you know, yeah. on the more administrative side, sometimes it, it's a little bit more tricky and it takes me more time. So I think that I, through this journey, I've learned that I don't have to do it alone and I can delegate and I can ask for support of those people that have those skill sets that would be able to be complementary to the work. Okay, so ultimately what what I think that some people that might not know too Mm -hmm. much about what people, dreamers, go Mm -hmm. through on a daily basis and then hearing about what you're doing will probably be asking, you know, the one question. It's like, what is your perfect end game? Like where, what is the main goal that when you reach it, you can say to yourself, I'm done? Mm Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting that you asked that question because when I was one of the key organizers doing a lot of work locally and nationally to get DACA, which was the work permit, and then DAPA, which would have been an extension for parents, it got held in the courts and it never got implemented. And at that time, you know, I became a little bit too bitter about the nonprofit sector and how I felt that they were not really trying to solve the problem and there was more about access uh, with the with President Obama at that time rather than actually making change. So I was like, you know what? I've done my work. People are getting work permits. I'm going to go into the classroom and that's how I became a teacher, you know, and I'm going to support students in a different way. And then hearing the stories of, of my students seeing similar challenges that I face as an undocumented student, it really put me in this place that I can continue to criticize what is not being done or I can find a solution. And that's why I decided to found Aliento. And now that I think about that question, I always think about, I don't have to be the one needing Aliento. And I want to make sure that Aliento remains remains like a youth-led organization. So like I'm already telling some of my young people, I'm like, hey, you're going to be the next CEO of Aliento, so get ready, make sure that you're learning, you know? And I see myself in a more advisory capacity, but I think that until that I define when am I done, you know, it's when I'm able to see that immigration status, it's not a barrier for people to thrive and to be human. And we're really recognized just as human beings. And unfortunately, I could tell you that I hope that that would be tomorrow or even 10 years from now. But 
if we really ground ourselves in the history, we've seen that immigrants sometimes turn into perpetual foreigners. So for me, it's like, how do I model a life that I don't hate the people that hate me? And that I'm really pausing and, and honoring their humanity, even though they're not honoring mine. Yeah, sometimes I, I feel in, in conversations with my friends that you can have a lot of people working very hard for a goal that they might not even see. Mm-hmm. Because if we look at how even just race relations are now compared to 50, 60 years ago, yeah. it's gotten better. It's not perfect. Mm-hmm. But it's like with, with all things, things take time. But they also take the work of people like you of really devoting their lives to a cause. So, so that was kind of why I asked that question was because I, I think that a lot of people don't truly get to see the fruits of what they've put their entire lives into, mm-hmm. that they might not get to see the end game, you know? Yeah. And I like, just to touch on what you're saying, I like that you're planting these seeds now with even you're thinking ahead mm-hmm. because worst case, November 12th, whatever happens, you are looking at that next person and trying to touch hearts and souls so that once you're, if worst case happens, then you have someone to like continue to help those. And that's the biggest sacrifice that I've ever heard any CEO do. So I like I commend you for that. It's incredible. And going through all this, you must have a mentor. There's <laughs> got to be somebody, a confidant, if that's your dad or a sibling or anyone who is your mentor right now that helps you get through these these struggles but also yeah yeah I definitely rely a lot in my like leadership team you know I think that for me I can preach about shared leadership but if I'm not practicing it I think that that's I feel like I would be an imposter, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that definitely I go to my, my core team. There's a couple of folks that I have. I have an advisory board that if I have a business question or operations, I go to Jenny, you know, she's the owner of Cahoots, as Luis Avila, who has been doing a lot of work in education and campaigns. I call him like a campaign guru that I just get to text him, you know, and I'm pretty lucky that he's always there to to hear me out Dr. McConnell I was I just saw her yesterday she was my professor she was one of the people that truly believed in me you know and said and she was just reminding me that when I was a senior in college like I didn't know what I was gonna do because that was before DACA and I was undocumented and she had almost like teary eyes and she said like look what you've done like I've never even fathomed that I was gonna be here you know today so I think that definitely takes a village and I am a true believer on that and uh, I've been pretty blessed to have people that that are willing to provide advice and provide their expertise for us to continue to grow and that are really investing in my leadership and but whenever I have like a moral dilemma I go to my mom my mom Mm -hmm. is so wise she always ask me the tough questions and she always brings it back about what do you want to do? What do you believe? And I really appreciate that from her. And you keep talking about throughout this whole conversation about being a dancer. Yes. Now, <laughs> dancing is like my secret thing. I, Ooh, I don't, when I'm at home, more. I don't go from one room to the next without doing like a little two-step or something. <laughs> Sometimes if I've had a few adult beverages, I will just dance <laughs> alone at, at the at the bar. It's, it's perfectly fine. So what that made me think of is that there are always those interesting things about people that mm-hmm. not many people know about. Maybe we're a little bit shy about it. We don't come out and talk about it. What is your interesting thing about you that mm. most people don't know about you? And, and please have fun with it. 
Huh, that's a good question. I've never been asked that. What is things that people don't know about me? I love writing poetry. Really? I love it. And I don't do it as much. I do a lot of journaling. So people know me as like, Raina writes a lot and she color codes. If you see my notebooks, they're always doodles. But when I was in high school, I would be like trying to fall asleep. And then it would be like 2 a.m. in the morning. And I would just have an idea. And I would just have this urge of writing something down. So sometimes I would get like a napkin and I would like write a little poem. So I used to have that. And I used to have a little block, like a photo block where you put a photo and then you get a little poem. So I used to do that a lot when I was younger. And you're already training yourself not to sleep back then. I know. <laughs> I've always had problems sleeping. This I don't know why. Years of training have finally gotten you to this point where you can work 23 and a half hours a day. Oh, boy. <laughs> I need to learn how to rest. That's my next goal. Does anybody like uh, in, in, within your immediate family ever try to tell you to slow down a little bit? Or do they just tell you to keep going? My dad and my mom, they're like, you just can't be working all the time. <laughs> so they get pretty mad at me sometimes. In our DNA, man. <laughs> Take a vacation. Go out and do something. Nope, nope, nope. Got work, work, work. <laughs> yeah. I do aerial and bungee for fun. So. Oh, oh wow. That's yeah. sick. What? What do you do? What do you do this? In Chandler, there's a studio called Tough Lattice, and then they have like aerial classes and bungee. So that's the only thing that like keeps me not thinking because I have to concentrate on what I'm doing because I'm terrified of being upside down. So I just started doing it as a challenge. That's awesome. Yeah. So for our listeners out there, do something that you wouldn't do to like challenge yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot, a lot of people that I follow through that are very successful they'll do things like jujitsu. It's like certain things mm. that will just take your mind away from everything you need to focus mm. on, but it's not a, a relaxing thing. It's got to be like something that you have to make mm. a job as itself, just away <laughs> from all the other jobs that you have to be able to release that stress. So I can completely see that. Yeah. Now that we're coming to a close, what piece of advice, if that's like books, any sort of last words of the wise, would you give to our college students, our millennials, our Gen Z about starting their own business? I would say that more importantly than having books or all a list, it's like really finding your why, mm. because there's going to be moments that you're going to cry, that you want to give up, and then you're saying, I'm working so hard, I'm working those Three, 23 and a half hours and I'm still not making the hayway that I want to see I think that at that moment you really need to ground yourself because you're gonna you're gonna hear a lot of no's you're gonna hear a lot of people that are gonna try to put you down and you're gonna face a lot of challenges because that's just the nature of like opening up your own business or your own organization so what I have found the most helpful is still at those moments when I'm at my lowest, can I have something that I can ground myself of why am I doing this in the first place? And sometimes it's my own story about being in the eighth grade classroom, curling up in my room and like praying to God that I didn't want to be here anymore mm. because nobody believed in me and everybody thought that I was dumb because I didn't know any English, you know? And mm. sometimes it's the stories of, of the students that are coming that are coming and saying, I'm so glad that I have a space where I can be myself and I don't have to explain who I am. So in those moments that I'm at my lowest, I think about those students and I think about how much they have 
given me. And sometimes I think people think it's like, oh, you're the person in the spotlight. You must be helping so many students. And I'm like, no, they're the ones that are grounding me to be reminded about what really matters. Because at the end of the day, I want my legacy to be those connections that that when someone needed someone to listen to, that I was there. Right. To it's, just be a listening ear. Right. And it's like that saying where whenever you feel you're at your lowest point, remember, go back to the reason why you did what mm-hmm. you're doing. And that's exactly what keeps you going. And in a practical point, like find a couple three, four, five peers that are going to help, like, hold you accountable. (laughs) Like, if you're, like, very practical advice, like, if you feel that you're messing up or you have that, like, little voice in your head that you don't know where to go, like, find those five people, one or two, that are going to just keep it real and be tell you, hey, Reina, you're, like, messing up. That's not what you're supposed to do. Or, hey, you said you were going to do that and you haven't done it, so what's up? So make sure that you find those, like, peers that are going to help like hold you accountable no matter what. Wonderful. And is there any questions that maybe I should have asked that I didn't ask or anything else that you want to talk about? This is, since you're a teacher, this is your chance to <laughs> grade us on our job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I would just say that if you're out there, if you have an idea and you want to Uh, do something about it. Just remember that you don't have to do it alone and the importance of having a team and, and, and being able to foster and cultivate those relationships. Because at the end of the day, it's about how are we supporting one another in this world? And then just find your niche. There's only one you in the place. And sometimes we're so trained to be competitive that we don't collaborate enough. Thank you so much, Reina, for taking the time to come here and speak with us. We appreciate it. And that's us signing off with Go Entrepreneur Yourself, Jonathan, Ryan, and Reina. Well, have a great day and until next show. Thank you. Bye.